on this week's Sunday School with Dr. Rich Roberts. The only penalty that there is for sin is death, and by death we're talking about eternal death, eternal condemnation. But by free justification, he's talking about the fact that we couldn't pay it, but Jesus did on the cross. He took our place. And therefore, we can stand righteous or holy in the presence of God, even though we are sinners. That's right. We can indeed stand holy and righteous before the Lord, because He has made us so. Hello, and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're excited and blessed that you chose to be with us today. Dr. Roberts has been leading his class in a weekly series on the book of Galatians. So let's turn in our Bibles together to Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. And now, Dr. Roberts. Good morning, and welcome to Portland General Baptist Adult Sunday School class. Uh, We're doing this live stream this morning, and for those who still need CDs and so on, we're going to make those available as well. Uh, but this is Easter Sunday morning, and, ha- and as is tradition in many churches, we start off with, He lives, and uh, uh, truly indeed, He's alive today. Uh, we're going to finish the book of Galatians in our, in our adult Bible study. We've been spending the last, last couple of months studying the book, and we're finishing it up today, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse number 14. It's kind of uh, wonderful how the Lord arranged this so that this would be our Easter Sunday uh, Bible study this morning. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse number 14. The Bible says, But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. As we stop there with our reading for just a moment, would you bow with me please for a word of prayer. Father, we come before your throne of grace and your throne of mercy. We thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for this Easter Sunday morning. Truly you are alive and we know you are alive because we have a relationship with you daily. Lord, I ask now that as we open our Bibles, as we study the word, Lord, that that you will make the word alive to our hearts. Lord, Lord, that you'll be the real teacher, that you'll speak to us, that you will rejuvenate us inside. And Lord, Lord, we give you honor and praise for these things through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. Paul starts off by saying, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I look at this, Paul's heart really had no, no interest in glorying in things like fame. Uh, Paul, Paul was not trying to be famous. Uh, he was not trying to be rich. He didn't glory in riches and materialism and so on. Uh, he didn't glory for status and for power among men. He only gloried in one thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, the cross, this is Passion Week. And we know what happened in Passion Week. We know that Jesus had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, people were celebrating him as the king. And then in just a few days, they crucified him on a cross, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then uh, Easter Sunday morning, first day of the week, Jesus got up. Jesus arose. And he's alive forevermore. But Paul is talking about glorying 
in the cross of Jesus Christ. That that is the only thing that he gloried in. The problem with this uh, is keeping the verse in its historical and sociological context. Because to us, we're used to seeing images of the cross. People wear the cross as jewelry. People wear, you know, people see the cross in churches and on steeples and so on. We are very used to seeing the image of the cross. That's not true at the time Paul wrote this. At the time Paul wrote this, uh, the cross was an abhorrent symbol. They didn't use the symbol at all. They, didn't, they surely did not wear it as jewelry. The cross was a symbol of, 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 of execution. It would be like wearing an electric chair around your neck as far as a piece of jewelry. It would be like having, having a worship temple with an electric chair on the outside. People did not want to be associated with the cross. In fact, the Roman word for cross, which is crux, was actually unmentionable in polite Roman society. People didn't use the word. In fact, they would, they would avoid the word by using euphemisms in order to just say the same thing without actually using the word crux or cross uh, when someone was going to be executed or so on. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the Italian or the, I'm not, not, not the Italian, but the Latin phrase. The uh, phrase is abore infelici suspenditido. And I probably butchered it because I don't speak Latin. Uh, but the translation is, hang him on the unlucky tree. They wouldn't use the word crux or cross. They avoided it. They simply called it the unlucky tree. So Paul was very unusual in these times. He not only used the word crux, cross, in which, you know, a word that people tried to avoid, but he combined that with the word glory that he gloried in the cross, that he gloried in the cross. And that combination is something that most Roman citizens would be like, what? It'd be like saying we glory in the electric chair or we glory in the hangman's noose. They're like, what do you mean you glory in the cross? Why would you glory in a symbol of execution? But of course, I don't think we have any problem knowing why he gloried in that symbol of execution because it's the symbol of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, as I taught last week, he paid it all on the cross. The cross is the symbol of our victory, and the resurrection is the proof of our victory. What do I mean by the cross is our symbol of victory? On the cross, Jesus used a couple of words, uh, and one of his main words, as far as the Christian, Christian is concerned, the word, uh, the, uh, the word is the word tetelestai, and it means it is is finished. Whenever he said to tell us die, that's when the gavel went down. That's when we were declared not guilty. The technical word is justification. And by justification, we mean that we are justified. We are declared just or declared righteous, even though we are guilty. In other words, it's God saying not guilty, even though we are guilty. Everyone who's listening, me, listening and watching me today, we're all guilty of sins. We've all done a lot of things wrong, and you are looking at a man who's done a lot of things wrong. But I'm justified, which means I'm declared not guilty. The gavel went down, and it went down at the cross. The, whenever Jesus said, it is finished, that means the plan of redemption, the plan of justification was totally finished, done at that moment. That is our source of victory. The proof of our victory 
is that a few days later, Jesus got up and he arose. And by, and by that, just as he rose, we're going to rise too. Just as he got up, we're going to get up too. So that's why Paul says, I glory in the cross. Because it's at the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. That means the cross is a symbol of redemption. It's the symbol of our justification. It's the symbol of being declared not guilty. It's not that he cared for that particular piece of wood that Jesus happened to be crucified on. It's that, uh, this is what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon said he means the glorious doctrine of justification, free justification through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, unquote. That is exactly how Spurgeon words it, and it's what I've just been teaching, that Whenever Paul says he's glorying in the cross, it's not the actual wood or whatever or the nails that he's talking about. He's talking about that idea of, as Spurgeon worded it, free justification. In other words, we could not pay our sin debt. The only penalty that there is for sin is death. And by death, we're talking about eternal death, eternal condemnation. But by free justification, he's talking about the fact that we couldn't pay it, but Jesus did on the cross. He took our place. And therefore, we can stand righteous or holy in the presence of God, even though we are sinners, even though we have done things wrong. Jesus forgives us, and those sins, as you know, you, you know, has, as the hymns say, have been washed away, uh, washed away in the blood of Christ. Our sins are gone, and therefore, we're able to stand just and holy in the presence of the Lord. Then we go on in this verse. He says, I glory only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the sentence is not complete there. He then says, By whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, back in Galatians 5.24, Paul wrote that he crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts, or passions and desires. So, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, look, just as Jesus died on the cross, I'm crucifying my flesh. I'm crucifying my lust and my desires and so on. But now he takes it a step further. He's not just saying that I'm going to crucify my flesh, I'm going to crucify what my desires are. Now, in this verse, he says, I'm crucifying, you know, the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, whenever he says the world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the global earth. He's not talking about humanity. In fact, that would be against the doctrine of Christ. The famous verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting and have that eternal life. So John 3, 16 tells us God so loved the world. So why is Paul coming back and saying the world has been crucified to him? It's simply because he's talking about sinful humanity, the world system, the system of sin that has been united in rebellion against God. He's saying, look, that has been crucified now. The world is crucified to me and I'm crucified to it. He says, you know, this is I am not going to abide by the world system, the system of sin. Now, not everything in the world is sin. We all know that. Uh, in fact, right now, we are, we are in a COVID crisis. And the government, and we're supposed to be praying for our government, according to Romans. Uh, our government has said that we need, to take, we need to take precautions. That's why we're doing a live streaming Easter service. And we're not in church on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, there are only a few people here listening to me in person. Uh, everybody else, you're home and you're watching via this. It's not sin doing that. 
Even though it's the world system, it's the governmental system giving us precautions to try to protect people's lives. So not everything in the world is bad, but we all know that the world system is inherently evil. The world system is inherently bad. And so, therefore, those things that are evil, uh, we have to crucify them. Crucify them to ourselves. It says, the world is crucified to me and I to the world, which means I'm no longer going to seek those evil things in the world. All of us, as, as, as you're listening to me, we all have those things that, that, that will habitually tempt us. Those things that get to us, the, uh, the, the Achilles heel, the weakness, if you will. We all have those weaknesses. I have the things that tempt me. You have the things that tempt you. And those are the areas especially where we have to say, I'm crucified to the world. You know, there are a lot of sins that are very easy for me to resist. There are a lot of sins I don't, I don't worry about because they don't, they, they don't really tempt me. There are, there are things that just don't really tempt me very much. But I have the one or two things that tempt me all the time. The one or two things that get me going, they're like, uh, and you know, and my mind starts to ponder them. And the moment my mind starts to ponder them and that temptation starts to sit in, that's, that's the exact moment I have to say, I'm crucified to the world. I'm not going to allow those things to get to me. I'm not going to stand here and lie and say that they never have, that I have never succumbed to those temptations. We all have succumbed to temptations. That's part of being human. We've done things that we shouldn't do. Uh, but... Uh, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ because when I have faltered, when I have failed, he has declared me not guilty. He's justified me. He's taken that sin away. So taking the sin away is step one. Glory in the cross that God has declared us not guilty. But it's followed up with this statement of holiness. And the statement of holiness is the world's crucified to me and I to the world. I'm a firm believer. Notice how these two are put together in one sentence. If the second part isn't true, I have to ask the question, is the first part true? If we're not living a life where we are crucified to the world and the world's crucified to us, if that's not our heart's desire, if that's not the way we are living, then is the first part really true in our lives that we glory only in the cross of Jesus Christ? In other words, is that statement of salvation, glorying in the cross, true if the world is not crucified to us and we are crucified to the world? The two go together. In other words, we're saved by grace through faith. He gives it to us as a free gift. He gives it to us from the cross to tell us that it is finished. He has given it to us with him paying the total charge, the total price for it. But after we receive his saving grace, the next part has to be true too. That we are crucifying the world in our lives and the world is crucified to us. In other words, we are going to live holy. He tells us to be holy even as I am holy. I'm not going to tell you that we, that, that, that we totally succeed at that. But I will tell you that has to be the desire. That has to be the goal, the bar that we are reaching. That we are going to live holy in this present world. In other words, the world's crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. So... He says to us, uh, number one, be saved. Glory only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Number two, be holy. Crucify the world and the world should be crucified to you. So those two statements go together. He then goes on to say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. I, I'm, I'm glad Paul worded it that way. The entire book of Galatians 
we have Paul debating against the legalist. Those who say that we should follow, follow circumcision, which is symbolic of the Jewish system of law. That if we're going to be Christians, we have to first become Jewish. That we have to follow the Jewish system, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, in order to serve Christ. And as we talked about last week, it was really the Jewish attempt to avoid the symbol of the cross. They were trying to avoid this idea of serving Jesus totally because they were scared of Roman persecution. They were scared that the Romans would, would then come after them. So they said, look, we're not trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to be Jews here. And Jewish religion is already accepted. And so uh, Paul, Paul comes back and says, no, Jewish traditions, the ceremonial law, is not what makes a person Christian. What makes a person Christian, ladies and gentlemen, is that last part, a new creation. Now, Paul says, there's nothing wrong with being circumcised. You know, there are a lot of Old Testament customs. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, I have at times celebrated Passover with, with, with Jewish friends. Nothing wrong with that. But it, but it is not a command that I celebrate it. Uh, it's simply a custom. There's nothing wrong with circumcision. There's nothing wrong with uncircumcision. He says the real issue, and this is the real bottom line of that entire argument. It's not the Jewish law. It's not the Jewish traditions. The bottom line is that you are a new creation. That's the center hallmark of Christianity, a new creation. Christianity is not in liturgy. Christianity is not in ceremony. It, it is not in ritual. Uh, in fact, we have a lot of rituals in the modern Protestant church. We have a lot of rituals in the Baptist church. Uh, you know, a person gets saved. What, what is the first thing we normally do? We take them to the baptistry. We dunk them in water. We baptize them. Well, you know, baptism is a good ceremony. It, 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 it serves as a testimony. Uh, but the bottom line is that that testimony doesn't do very much if you're not saved in the first place. You, you know, you, you enter the water a sinner, you go down a sinner, you come up a sinner. Uh, it, it, it's just water at that point. You might as well go home and take a bath. It doesn't do anything for you. We have other traditions within the church, other customs, if you will. We will take communion at times. Well, for those of us who are Christians, uh, it is truly the symbol of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And it has that symbolic value to us. Uh, the Catholics even go a step further, and they believe in a doctrine called transubstantiation, which they believe it literally turns into blood and body of Christ. I don't advocate that at all. But it's still a ceremony. Uh, it's still a ritual that we do in the church. But, it, but if you're not a Christian, and you take, the, you, know, you take the little cracker, you take the grape juice, and you eat it and drink it, it's just cracker and grape juice at that point. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't do any good to you. In fact, the Bible says if you do it and you're not worthy, uh, you might have some problems. Uh, and so the Bible says you eat and drink damnation to yourself. Uh, but not, you know, it's, still, it's still just a ritual. It doesn't mean anything. The center point of Christianity is not the circumcision. It's not the uncircumcision. It's not the rituals that we do, church membership, whatever. It's not the church rituals. The real bottom line is that we are a new creation. All right, everything else, all of the legalism, all the rituals avails nothing, he says. But we have to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. It is a relationship. S salvation is not a, well, I think I might make it to heaven. That's not what Christianity is all about. 
When I met the Lord at 10 years of age, I met him for myself. Now, I'm not going to tell you from the age of 10 to now, 1977 to now, that I haven't faltered a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of regrets. I have those things that I've apologized for many times, not only to the Lord, but to people on earth. But at the age of 10, I met him for myself. And it, 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 it is not just a myth of Christianity, a legend of Christianity. I knew Jesus for myself because I met him for myself. That, that, because I, I was changed. I became a new creation. Uh, and with, and, and as, a, as a new creature in Christ Jesus, as a new creation, uh, I had a reality in my heart, a reality in my life. And that reality, and now, now at 52 years of age, is still, still real today. I know him for myself. When I pray, I'm not talking to the air. When I pray, I'm not just talking out loud to soothe some sort of emotion or some sort of psychic type thing. I am, when, when I'm praying, I'm talking to the Lord because I know he lives. That's Easter Sunday morning. I know he lives, and he lives in my heart. And I talk to him. I, I, I am a new creation in him. That's the fundamental part. That's what Paul, throughout the entire book of Galatians, is trying to stress to the Galatian church. It's not about legalism. It's not about rituals. It's not about ceremonies. It's about knowing the Lord. Do you know him? You know, I don't just hope I'm going to heaven. I just don't think I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going. That's what salvation is all about. If you don't know that you know that you know that you're going, there's something wrong. You need to know him for yourself. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, 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 that the devil never tempts us with not knowing. He surely does. He tries to play mind games with us, especially brand new Christians. I've seen a lot of brand new Christians. They, they are just saved. And the first thing the devil hits them with is, are you sure you're saved? Do you really know the Lord? Did you really meet him? And for, and for those, those of us who have, we're able to fire back with, you know, I may just be getting started, but yeah, I met him for myself. You know, when you meet somebody, you know you met him. I'll never forget, <coughs> excuse me, I'll never forget when I met President Jimmy Carter. Uh, I, I was able to go up to him, and I shook his hand. And, you know, whether you agree with his politics or whatever, I'm not getting into all that. But, you know, I met Jimmy Carter. Now, as many people as he's met as a former president, surely he does not remember me. It was a little few-second meeting where I was able to shake his hand. But, you know, I remember meeting him. And nobody can tell me I didn't meet him because I went up to him and I shook his hand. And I'm like, Mr. President, uh, it's good to meet you. And he shook my hand in return. I don't think he said anything. But, uh, but still, I shook his hand and I, and, and, and I spoke to a president. And it was awesome. Uh, I actually had, had a luncheon with a famous author, Alex Haley. You may know him as the author of Roots. And I was able to have a luncheon with him because he was a trustee at the college uh, where I first went to school. And so I was there in a luncheon. I sat just diagonal across from him. I had a conversation about a half hour with Alex Haley. And I hate to say I kind of dominated the conversation, but I did. I enjoyed talking to Alex Haley. He actually may, of course, he's passed away now, but he actually would have remembered me because we had about a half-hour conversation, more, more so than President Carter. Nobody can tell me I didn't meet President Carter. Nobody can tell me I didn't meet Alex Haley. I most certainly met both of them and had a good conversation with one of them. It's the same thing when I came to know the Lord. I became a new creature, a new creation in him. I met him for myself. And although, although the devil may try to tempt me and say, now, did you really meet the Lord? Surely I did meet the Lord. I met him for myself. I know him for myself. That's the fundamental issue of Christianity. You know, all of the ceremonies and rituals, those are just add-ons. 
Those are just icing on the cake. The real cake is knowing the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to give us here. Now look at verse number 16. Verse number 16. As many as walk according to this rule. Stop there for just a minute. What rule? Being a new creature in Christ. A new creation. The world's crucified to us. We are crucified to the world, but we are a new creation. That's the rule he's talking about. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, there's an interesting Greek word here. We like to keep the Bible in its, in its context. And uh, we all know the Bible was not written in English. Uh, you know, it, it would have been interesting if it, if it had been. But every time you're reading the Bible in English, whether you're in King James Version or some other version, you're reading a translation. And every translation has its issues, has its, has its good points and bad points. I, I love the King James Version. It is the version I, I've grown up on. It is the version that I quote a lot of. But still, it's just a version. The Bible was written, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew, and the New Testament in Greek, Keone Greek, which is an old form of Greek. Uh, this word here, as many as walk according to this rule, the word rule in English here comes from an interesting, very interesting Greek word, and the Greek word is canon. You may have heard that word before, canon. Uh, the, the canon of Scripture. Have you ever heard that phrase before? The canon of Scripture. It really means the rule of Scripture. The definition of canon is a carpenter's or a surveyor's line by which a direction is taken. All right, a carpenter or a surveyor's line in which a direction is taken. Uh, when we're, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been involved in hanging pictures in your house and so on. But my wife is a stickler for the fact that if you're going to hang a picture on her wall, it must be level. It must be level. And there have been times we've had to get the leveler out and put them on top of the picture or whatever to make sure the bubble is just in the middle. She wants that line to be straight. And if you hang two or three pictures side by side, those, the lines have to be straight. And so we, you know, we, we'll get out whatever we you know. They have those, those uh, things you can buy in the store where the light will shine across. A straight line will shine. So once you know it's level, you have a straight line going there, and you're able to hang the next picture and hang the next picture right on the little laser line or whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly the type of element that he's talking about here with canon. As many as walk according to this canon, according to this rule, he says, according to this line. Paul has set a bar. He has set the bar, the canon, the rule. And the canon or rule is knowing Jesus for yourself. You know, you can have membership in all different kinds of churches. You can be baptized 20 times. Uh, you can take communion, do whatever. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You can give your tithes. You can give your offerings and so on and still burn in hell. You know, I've had the pleasure of being a member, a member of more than one church, and I was telling the pastor earlier that today it's hard to see on the camera. I'm wearing a pin. It is a pin where I became a member of my former church. I was a Salvation Army soldier member. And so I'm wearing it, because, and, and because that took place on Easter Sunday morning, it's kind of a memorable experience to me. Now, I'm a General Baptist. I'm a General Baptist through and through. I love the General Baptist Church. But I have fond memories of becoming a Salvation Army soldier. And so I have a Salvation Army pin that I'm wearing, wearing, wearing as my tie class today, only, you know, only because it's a special memory for me. 
But I can tell you, you can be a Salvation Army soldier, you can be a General Baptist mini, uh, member or minister and still burn in hell. You absolutely can still burn in hell because the rule, the canon, the line, the leveler, if you will, is that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The world's crucified to us, we are crucified to the world, and therefore the canon is, he says, as many as walk according to this canon. He just talked about, he just talked about what the canon is, which is being a new creation. Those people have peace and mercy upon them. If you really want the peace of God, if you want the mercy of God, you have to follow the canon, or the, and there's only one rule, and that's knowing Jesus for yourself. You know, people try to make Christianity a complicated process. It's not a complicated process. The illegalists in the Galatian churches uh, were trying to make Christianity hard. You have to follow this rule and that rule. You have to do this and do that. You have to be circumcised and so on. And Paul says, no, there's only one rule, and that's being a new creation in Christ Jesus. That happened to me when I was 10 years of age at the Chatteroy Church, Chatteroy, West Virginia. I came to know the Lord for myself. And at that point, ladies and gentlemen, I knew him. And that rule was applied. I'm walking according to that canon, that rule, and therefore God's peace and God's mercy is upon me. And, you know, in my 42 years of walking with Jesus, through all of my failures and faults, his mercy's always been there. And he's also put a peace in my heart. Have you ever gone through trials and tribulations? You did not know where the next way to turn was? You did not know, you didn't know what was going to happen? Lost your job? I mean, we are, we are in a time period now where a lot of people have lost their employment they're, and they're filing for unemployment. Some of them are getting denied. Uh, things are going on. People are in financial struggles. And, of course, just the isolation itself. I mean, I'm honest when I say I've spent more time in my house in the last month than I've probably spent in the last year and a half because uh, I'm always out working and doing things and so on. And now, I, in fact, my, my days and nights have really gotten warped in some way because I know... I'm not getting up at my normal 4.30 in the morning to get ready for work. I find myself sleeping in to 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then I, you know, I roll over and I'm, I'm awake. And I think to myself, well, why get up? There's nothing going on. Turn over and by sleep. Because if I get up, what is there to do? Go into the living room. Okay, that's fun. And you know, what is there to do after that? Eat breakfast, eat snack, eat another snack, eat lunch eat three or four more snacks, you know, eat dinner, big dinner, eat a lot of snacks, and go to bed. Uh, that, that, is the, that is my day. Uh, that, is, that is what the day is. And so, and I, I've, I've been reading books, I've been watching series, I'm a Star Trek nut, and I just, I have finished watching the entire Deep Space Nine series over the last month, uh, and I have, I have finished it, and I'm like, I don't want to do any more of that. So I've been binge watching things online and so on. Even in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this pandemic that's going on, God's peace is in my heart. I know it's going to be okay. I know it's going to be okay. His mercy is there. I'm not going to tell you in the last month I haven't sinned. I'm not going to tell you in the last 24 hours I haven't sinned. But God's mercy has been there, and he's taken away all of those things. His peace and mercy is upon me. Why? Because I walk according to the canon. I walk according to the rule which is being a new creature or a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. Now, we come to verses 17 and 18. Verses 17 and 18, and he gives us the last words of the book of Galatians. Now, before I get to this, I want you to remember what, you know, what he's dealt with the whole book. He's dealt with legalism. 
He's dealt with those who are advocating circumcision, those who are advocating Jewish religious ceremonies and so on. Uh, but then he comes back with, no, it's based upon being, being, being a new creation. And this is how he ends the book. It's a great sign-off. From now on, let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now stop there for just a minute. When he says, no one trouble me, he's not saying, do not talk to me. He's not saying, you cannot address me. You can't come up to me and say, hey, Paul, how are you? Of course, we can't do it now. He's gone. But at that time, that's, that, that is not the message he's sending. He's sending the message of stop the debate of the Jewish ceremonial laws and of the legalism and of the circumcision. Don't trouble me with that anymore. I've dealt with this issue. I've written a book on this issue, or a letter, he would say, uh, an epistle. Uh, he says, I've already dealt with the issue. Stop troubling me about it. I don't want to have more questions on it. I've already addressed the issue. I've already written a letter on the issue. So enough of that issue. He says, look, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus. I have suffered. I've been beaten and whipped and stoned and everything else dealing with the cross of Jesus. My glory is in the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't want to keep dealing with the legalistic issues. I'm done with that. And there are, you know, as Christians... There are some issues we're done with. Uh, there, there are times people want to bring up theological debates, and I just ignore them. I, I've dealt with those issues long ago, and I don't, I don't want to keep dealing with those things. Some, some of the issues that people deal with, I just shake my head and go on. I don't, I don't want to get into those. I don't want to debate them. Uh, let me give an example. Maybe I shouldn't do this online, but I will anyway. Uh, there are some people in my family that hold to what's called the once in grace doctrine. There are other people who hold to, no, you can lose your salvation. You want, you want to know what my answer to the question is? I don't want to deal with the issue anymore. Why? It doesn't matter. If a person is saved, he's going to heaven. If a person's lost, he's going to hell. And it doesn't matter which way you believe on that, on that particular issue. Salvation and being lost, same thing. Uh, the, the bottom line is still the same. If you believe a person can lose a salvation and he ends up not being saved, he's going to hell. If you believe a person is once saved, always saved, a lot of those people say if he's living like the devil, he's probably never saved in the first place. Guess where he still ends up? Hell. The bottom line is those who are saved, those who are elect, go to heaven. Those who are lost, go to hell. So why debate the once in grace, always in grace doctrine? To me, it's a useless doctrine to even talk about in debate. I just bring it up as an illustration. It doesn't really matter. A lot of people make, make, make a big deal over it, when in reality, it's not a big deal at all. Because the bottom line is still the same. And I'm, I'm a pragmatist. I want the bottom line. Tell me if a, you know, if a person is lost, how do I reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If a person is saved, how do I, how do I encourage them in their faith to truly serve the Lord and seek the Lord? That's, that's the bottom line. So Paul says, do not trouble me anymore about this. I've dealt with the issue. I've written a letter on the issue. Just leave me alone on this particular issue. He says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Here we go. His last sentence to me is one of the best ways to end this particular book. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He ends the book with a statement of grace which is exactly, exactly what the legalists needed to hear. We are saved by grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. We are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of any work, which the legalists are trying to say you have to do, not of any work, lest anyone should boast of that work. He says you're saved by grace. So he says, his last statement, if you really want to know the Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That is a purposeful statement. He is saying it's all by grace. Salvation is totally by grace. And then he says, amen. We hope you enjoyed and were enlightened by Dr. Rich Roberts' teaching from the book of Galatians, finishing up this series. Join us next week as Dr. Roberts begins a new Sunday School series entitled, Trusting God, the Life of Elijah. Many of Dr. Roberts' other teachings and sermons can be found in the Sermon Audio Archive on our website at www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.